Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Our scars can destroy us, even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can transform us. They can give us the power to endure and the strength to fight. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Batman. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I am the shadow. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello. How you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah, doing well now that we finally have seen the movie. I know that was kind of a uh, an adventure in itself, right? Nobody knows what we're talking about. Well, why doesn't somebody let them know what we're talking about, John? Well, we did try to see this movie on Thursday night, uh, and the theater that we went to would get about halfway through, and all of a sudden the movie started freezing up and replaying the same scene over and over again. Yeah. And then we sat there and waited about 20 minutes for them to fix the movie. And when they finally got it up and playing again, it jumped ahead to one of the big spoilers of the movie. Yeah. People lost their fucking shit. Oh, everybody was plugging their ears, turning their heads. It was, it was pretty funny, actually. Pretty yeah. funny. So needless to say, we didn't get to finish the movie uh, that night. We had to wait till today. And actually, we just got back from viewing the Batman. We wanted to get this out to... Uh, our faithful listeners as soon as possible. Um, so we've now seen the movie one and a half times. One and a half times. We are reviewing The Batman, which came out on March 3rd, 2022. It was directed by Matt Reeves. Screenplay by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. It stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell. Do we want to talk a little bit about the inspiration for this movie? Um, I'm pretty sure the inspiration of this movie was we needed another Batman movie. Well, Matt Reeves actually said that he was inspired by the Batman series Ego, The Long Halloween, and Batman Year One. So those are all three great reads if you're interested in kind of seeing where a lot of the ideas and the themes came from for this movie. To our casual audience listeners, these are comic books. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the information did come from the comic book guys, so that was fitting. Well, I like to call it enhanced literature. Yeah, interesting. Never thought of it that way. But I can see why you would think that. Because it comes with pictures and words. Yeah. Do you read comics there, Professor? Uh, I haven't for a long time, but I will say that just because of this movie, and I knew that we were going to be viewing it pretty soon, I do have um, a burning curiosity to go and get a couple of the bigger stories. Excellent, excellent. I'm pretty sure that some of those stories that you mentioned are also in the DC animated universe, so I will think I'll watch it. Well, the 
the Batman ego hasn't really come out in the animated one, but that is one that I highly recommend because it kind of goes into the mindscape of Bruce Wayne and Batman and divides them up into two different people who, you know, have an argument where Batman represents vengeance and Bruce Wayne represents hope. And they try to decide who is more important. Yeah. When did ego come out? You know, I'm not sure. I didn't look up the date. You're the fucking comic book guy. Wow, you just embarrassed every comic book guy out there. So what do you think of that? <laughs> I'm a little surprised, actually. I am, too, because I think at this point, as just a casual fan of Batman, um, I don't care. I don't care what makes him vengeance or hope. I just know that he's Batman and that I'm rooting for him because uh, in his heart, I believe he believes he's doing good. And I, I think it's also going to be interesting to have the three of us... Uh, you know, uh, go back and forth about what we want out of a Batman story. Well, what I like in this movie specifically is that when the beginning we get a Batman who's just seeking vengeance. Basically, he's going out and thinking of every criminal out there as the one that killed his father. He just wants to get vengeance. And by the end of the movie, he is looking to, you know, still get his vengeance, but also to inspire hope in people. He figures out that it's uh, bigger than just his vengeance. Exactly. What he's doing. And it's, it's you know, ultimately for the greater good. The, the greater, greater good. good. But, you know, it's also like, it's almost like a form of therapy for him. And you can almost see like he's come to an epiphany of what his next steps and what his goals need to be. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I think that he's also realizing that uh, he doesn't have to necessarily be by himself on this quest of helping the city. Right. Now, one of the things I was thinking about, uh, from doing some reading, it looks like Robert Pattinson has signed a three-movie deal. So there's going to be, you know, depending on the, the success of this movie, which I think it's doing pretty good, there's going to be two more Batman movies. I was thinking if, you know, getting to this part where he realizes he needs to inspire hope as much as seek out his vengeance, maybe that's something they should have saved and should have worked towards in a later movie. What do you think? Uh, for me, I don't think it matters because ultimately I know who Batman is to me, right? And so if the sequels come out, I just uh, assume that we're going to get, uh, you know, more villains and just another Batman story, you know. So e either way, I'm looking forward to it. But a critical or shall we say a crucial point for you that the audience doesn't know is that you are eager to make sure that it is the same actor. I would like to see uh, DC and then, you know, DCEU, their expanded universe. I would like to see them have some consistency with Batman moving forward. Uh, Affleck was, you know, the DECU Batman. That's who they chose. Okay. Christian Bale was Batman for three movies in that uh, three-story arc. Awesome. We had a number of Batmans throughout the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher phase, you know, and, and looking at the DECU now, we have a Superman, we have a Wonder Woman, we have a Flash, we have an Aquaman, and we have a Cyborg, you know, and if those same actors are going to uh, go on and make other movies, basically uh, following what Marvel did, good, if as long as they can do it well, or okay, even, you know, mm -hmm. I'll... I'll buy a ticket. But with Batman, I feel like they don't have they don't have a handle on uh, a good Batman. They haven't the, figured out their secret sauce. Right. They haven't figured out that uh, secret formula for Batman in the DECU. Now, can Robert Pattinson cross over and be that guy? Maybe. 
It would have to depend on the story and where we're at in Batman's career because when we meet Pattinson's Batman, this is only his second year doing this. You know, and then the Batman we get in the Justice League movies or, you know, the the other movies, he's more, uh, he's older. He's been Batman for uh, many years. I know? get the impression that he's approaching retirement age at some point. Yeah, at some point, kind of uh, going into like the Dark Knight Returns era. Right? Yeah, because he kind of says, you know, I've been doing this too long and, you know, he has yeah. all the scars and the, the hurt back and everything. Yeah, yeah. He's so been, He's been doing this for two years. Yeah, uh, Pattinson's right. Batman yeah. has, yeah. Two years into the gig. Um, speaking of actors, what do you think of the casting of this movie? The casting is what kind of gave me hope after I saw the first trailer, right? I wasn't sold on Pattinson, and even coming out of the showing tonight, I don't know if I'm sold on Pattinson or not yet. You know, there was some things that he did well and some things that I had a lot of questions about. But, you know, uh, I've only seen it one and a half times. So, you know, maybe more could come out of that. Uh, I really like Jeffrey Wright. Uh, he, I thought uh, him being Gordon was a great casting choice. I was curious about Paul Dano and the Riddler, and I was impressed by him. I, I like the Riddler. But what I really wanted to see was Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Colin Farrell as a bad guy because he has that swagger. And I really enjoyed him as Bullseye in the Daredevil movie. If you hadn't told me that he was in this movie, I would have never guessed he was the Penguin. Same. Yeah, he did such a good job not being Colin Farrell. I could see it around his eyes. And every time he would he would make a like a twitch with his face or something, uh, Bullseye would give the same look. And that's what I'm trying to envision because I want to see where the blend is for me. But most of the time when the Penguin talked, he reminded me of Robert De Niro. I was just about to say is who did he remind you of? I thought his inspiration must have been Robert De Niro for that role. His inspiration was actually uh, Fredo from the Godfather series. Mm -hmm. So, which is not Robert De Niro. Which is a movie I have not seen. What? We have discussed this. I have not seen any of the Godfather movies. So someone needs to put it in the hat so I can finally see it. Uh, Be careful, listeners, because he may take a beloved classic and shit all over it. Uh, We don't want him to see the Godfather because it will get a zero. It will get an honest review. Yeah, if, if that's what you're calling it, buddy. So yeah, the cast was great. I really enjoyed Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. I thought she did a great job. I like this iteration of Catwoman. Uh, it's different, but the same. Uh, you know, she, t- she took it and uh, made it her own, and I thought she did a great job. Next to you know, Robert Pattinson as Batman, she was the character I was most worried about. Uh, the cat woman, because I, even just in the previews, I didn't like the look of her outfit. I didn't like the look of the, the mask that she pulled over her head. I thought she pulled it off. And I thought she did a good job of portraying a young, you know, initial cat woman, you know, at, you know, again, in their first two years of doing anything, you know, this is her first going out as cat woman. You can see potential for growth in the character. Sure. Sure. Uh, what do you think of Andy Serkis as Alfred? I liked him. I thought that uh, he had uh, wisdom in his presence on screen. He he gave me that sense of having been there for a long time alongside Bruce. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed him too. I did get the fatherly feeling from him and, you know, the English feel. I wouldn't put him up there as one of my favorite Alfreds. Um, I always see Alfred as an English gentleman, and I don't see that as much in Andy as I would have liked to. I just saw him more of a caring, doting kind of father figure butler, but but not that classic Alfred role we have seen in other movies. 
Hmm. Okay, but, you know, he was working on the Riddler's puzzles. Yeah, but he just didn't see it. But if you think about it, I mean, he did do a good job with that because Alfred Pennyworth's history is as a British intelligence officer. So when he mentions that, you know, of his time in the circus, he's referring to his time in intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And, And this isn't the first time that we've gotten a hint to Alfred's background. Uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Michael Caine's Alfred uh, alludes to that as well. So yeah, I thought Andy Serkis did great. And then rounding it out, John Turturro. I, you know, I didn't even know John Turturro was in this. Uh, I didn't either. But if you're going to have a, uh, you know, mob gangster lord, why not be John Turturro? So did, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was a nice, uh, added little surprise to this. Did you notice it seemed like most of the characters, the side characters, except for maybe, you know, Oswald, they talked like this. They talked like they were gangsters. Yeah. Yeah. They all kind of whispered. And you know what? Uh, Bruce Wayne kind of talked like that too. Mm -hmm. So. This must be a Gotham thing or something. Even some of the police officers talked like that. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been in the dialect of Gotham, of Gothamites. What, do you know how much this movie was made for? What was the budget? Uh, the budget on this film was $185 million, and I believe uh, the preview viewings alone for this, uh, they were already at $22 million. That's what I've read, yeah. So um, I'm sure it'll do fine in the box office. I'm sure you know the numbers, numbers will go up. People are starting to go back to the theaters. And um, yeah, as long as it doesn't break in the middle of the fucking movie, you should be able to enjoy this film. Mm-hmm. On Halloween, Gotham City Mayor Don Mitchell Jr. is murdered by a serial killer calling himself the Riddler. Billionaire Bruce Wayne, who has operated for two years as the vigilante Batman, investigates alongside Lieutenant James Gordon. They discover that the Riddler has left a message for Batman. But Commissioner Pete Savage berates him for allowing a vigilante to enter the crime scene and forces Batman to leave. The Riddler kills Savage and leaves another message for Batman. Batman and Gordon discover that the Riddler left a thumb drive in Mitchell's car containing images of Mitchell with a woman, Annika, at the Iceberg Lounge, a nightclub operated by mobster Carmine Falcone's Lieutenant Penguin. Batman questions the Penguin who pleads ignorance but notices that Selina Kyle, Annika's roommate and girlfriend, works there as a waitress. After Annika disappears, Batman sends Selina back to the Iceberg Lounge to search for answers. Through Selina, Batman discovers that Savage was on Falcone's payroll, as is District Attorney Gil Coulson. Selina shuts off communications when Batman presses her about her relationship with Falcone. All right, so let's talk about the opening of this flick. Yeah, just the fact that, you know, right as the movie starts, all we get is just a flash of the Batman and then right into things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we get the Warner Brothers logo. It's complete silence, and then music starts, mm-hmm. and then we get that big flash of the Batman. Uh, reminded me of a, a Quentin Tarantino flick, so I was thinking, oh, artsy, right? And then we open up. Uh, the point of view is through I don't know binoculars. Yes. I would say. Did you guys notice the numbers at the bottom of the screen every time we went into that POV? Yes. No matter who was using it, I thought that was an interesting uh, gag by the director. But anyway, we're watching this little kid who, you know, is dressed up like a ninja and his parents walk in. So clearly we are scoping out a family and we hear that breathing. When you first saw it, did you think maybe this was a flashback and we were seeing 
The the Waynes with a young Bruce Wayne? No. no. Not, nothing in this told me that it would be a flashback. Uh, and not and certainly not the Waynes if unless the filmmakers were trying to change how their parents how his parents died. Well, my first initial thought was uh, in the comic books and it's been referenced in some of the other movies that Bruce Wayne was a huge Zorro fan. In fact, the night his parents were killed, they were actually going to see Zorro. So I thought maybe they were spicing it up a little bit and making the kid more of a ninja with a sword instead of Zoro with a sword. So oh. I thought it was kind of a callback to that a little bit. Uh, I mean, it could have been, but I, I, I personally did not get a Wayne feeling from this opening at all. No, I didn't either. All, what I got from this opening was a, a creep factor, and it felt very uh, Silence of the Lambsy. Yeah. You know, with the breathing and uh, someone watching watching this family, uh, and then, you know, you put two and two together and we figure out that it's the Riddler. What would you guys think of the Riddler's introduction? It was pretty brutal, the way he just comes in. I mean, he's hiding in the shadows, comes in and just beats the guy to death. Yeah. You? I thought that the uh, intro was pretty good for uh, introducing us to our antagonist. He is in the shadows, and and, only, and if, if you are hawkish, you are able to glean the reflection off of his glasses behind the victim. And then as he steps forward, it's like, oh, that's very well done. And then the, uh, the, the kill is done out of focus. And that was a really nice camera shot we got of the weapon being uh, thrust to the forefront and center to us. And then I noticed that the next victim that happens later on, we also have a similar death where it is out of focus and and we are left to wonder what is going on, even though we don't necessarily need to know what is going on. So yeah, I, I thought it was good. The other part I enjoyed as well, having Batman following behind Commissioner Gordon and we don't hear anything except for just Batman's footsteps. And then we're walking past all of those police officers, and then finally one of the police officers confronts him. What's he doing here? And I realized, so it really was that quiet. It, it appeared to me that this is the first time that Batman has made a public appearance, if you will, as you know somebody that the law does not want or like, and everybody is slack-jawed in silence as he's walking into a crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before that, though, we get our introduction to Batman through the bat signal. They talk about the bat signal, and he starts narrating, which reminds me a lot of uh, the Watchmen when uh, Rorschach is kind of narrating the Watchmen. You know, we get the Bruce Wayne kind of narrating the whole Batman thing, and he's talking about how, you know, since his inception, since he's come out, uh, you know, as Batman, that people just fear him, and that's what he likes. He likes people to think he's in the shadows. And that's what he wants to to inspire in people in these criminals is that he could be around every corner. Yeah, and they do a really good job showing us that. You know, you have a yes, you have a montage of three things going on, and uh, each time we see the bat signal, the criminal second guesses, and then we get a shot of a dark corner or a dark hallway or something dark that the camera holds on, and we kind of push toward it, thinking, "Is he going to come out of the shadows? Is he not?" So they're instilling that fear you know so i think that the filmmakers did a really good job to to show us that in just a, a, a agreed a, a quick scene you know well, sound sound played a huge role i think in this movie and whether it was riddler's kind of weird little yells that he did every so often you know the duct tape sound which i thought thought this whole movie seemed like a big infomercial for duct tape but um 
you mentioned Don when we were talking about this movie earlier, the footsteps. Yeah. You know, just the sound of his footsteps, you know, before you even saw him was just menacing enough. Yeah. During these uh this montage of uh fear based, you know, sightings of the Batman, uh we get Cent- centering around a criminal activity. Right. We are um on a subway with a guy with a bunch of guys who have painted faces and they're gonna jump this one guy. And this is our first introduction to Batman. Um, like the- you said, he you get the footsteps and he walks out and then he just beats down these guys like they were fucking nothing. These guys that were on the subway that had their face painted up, I noticed that it was reminiscent, the smiles were reminiscent of the Joker, which made me instantly think the Joker must already be in this universe if he's already inspiring them. Or maybe there's a connection to the other Joker movie. I guess I probably thought it was like when you first see the previews, I probably thought, oh, they're going to throw the Joker in here. But I'm glad that they didn't at that moment. You know, and it, I think it was uh, just kind of representing, uh, you know, this is a bad element. This is this is a gang and they're, they're trying to initiate this one kid into it. And, you know, Batman takes him out. But we also get to see kind of, you know, the the out of control Batman when he knocks the guy down and tells him that he's vengeance. He just pummels him. I don't think he's out of control. I think he's fully in control. He's already got the guy knocked down. The guy's probably already halfway knocked out and he punches him another like. Eight or nine times. And right, because if you were the guy watching that, are you going to go after him? Well, Robert Pattinson said in an interview that he improvised that scene. He, he was supposed to say, you know, I, I'm vengeance, but he wanted to punch the guy more times because he wanted to say that this is a Batman who every time he looks at any criminal, he thinks of the man who killed his parents. And so he's a little bit out of control with his violence against criminals oh. at this point in the movie. I, I think he's in full control, but that's just me. I took it as an intimidation factor. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he's done beating up these gang members, and now we get to the scene where you're talking about where he gets to investigate uh, this murder, and this is kind of where we get what we're going to get throughout the film, and, which is Batman being the world's greatest detective. You know, And in all of the other iterations of Batman, batmans that we've seen we've never really seen batman coexist with the police you know he's mm-hmm. into the crime scene and at first uh as this scene's going on and where the pov is from batman and we're behind uh gordon all the officers are turning and looking up so i'm thinking is batman with him and when he finally shows up yeah and this this bit where uh he's doing they're doing the investigating i thought i really dug yeah, well, and you bring up a good point because I think back to the Dark Knight, you know, that trilogy, uh, it seemed like all of the cops in there were inspired by Batman. They loved Batman. You know, they always cheered every time he was around. This one, they just see him as a criminal and a vigilante that they can't stand because, you know, he's making them look bad. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and we're only two years into this. Yeah, and they right? even and, call him- and And Gordon has to fight for his friendship. I mean, he mm-hmm. has to, you know... Take a lot of shit from his superiors. Because they even say, you know, your friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But right off the bat, he, you know, he shows that he's got, that he has brains when he points out the bit about um, the thumb, the the detail about the thumb, that he was still alive when his thumb was cut off based on what he's observing. Right. Yeah. And then he walks around and looks at, 
he's following the the forensic officer who's taking the pictures and then he specifically looks down at a clue and then when he walks away the photographer walks up and takes the picture of that clue and i'm thinking he's helping them without helping them yeah you know mm-hmm. I mean? and he solved the riddle so quick as well too. yeah that's yeah i like that too you mm-hmm. know every riddle that came up boom he was on it mm-hmm. you know now did so. you catch when they showed the each of the greeting cards that each greeting card represented one of Batman's arch enemies. No, I didn't even pay like attention there was to that. one kind of had a garden theme on it for poison ivy. There's one that had an owl on it for the court of owls. So they all kind of had some representation to uh, his different enemies. They had one also with a clown, I think. Yeah, I think so. Who was that represent? Uh, the Riddler? No, um, Mr. Freeze. Maybe, might be Freeze, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was or, the calendar man. Or, or what about uh, polka dot man? Could be King Shark. Now you guys are just being fucking crazy. You know what? You know who I think it was? What? One of uh, Batman's biggest enemies. Who? The Condiment King. Holy shit! Are they bringing the Condiment King to the DECU or to the Matt Reeves DC universe? It's possible. Oh wow, we're in for a fucking treat. Um, so yeah, uh, and at the crime scene there is a letter to Batman. And it has a riddle in it, and it has a cipher, and, uh, you know, as everything is winding up and the sun's coming up, as I like to say, uh, Bruce Wayne or Batman gets on his motorcycle and he drives he drives out of the city and into another city, you know, Wayne Tower. So no, no Wayne Manor in this one. Yeah, curious. Yeah, and when he pulls in... Uh, into the, I guess it's the Batcave. Uh, the set that they used looked uh, was very reminiscent to Lex Luthor's lair in the '78 Superman. So if you guys ever see it again, look for that. So, yeah, and this is where we meet Alfred. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I liked Andy Serkis's Alfred. Uh, I think that uh, most of the Alfreds throughout the entire Batman history have been pretty solid. You know, and. Uh, yeah, I felt that he had a fatherly uh, presence to him, and he wanted what was best uh, for Bruce. And, you know, this version of Bruce Wayne, I, we've never seen it before. You know, we've always seen the billionaire playboy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Michael Keaton's, Val Kilmer's, Clooney's, Bale's, all of their Bruce Waynes were already well-established, mm-hmm. and they were who they were. Right, this one, he's still trying to figure out who he wants to be, and uh, he's he, totally his his life is totally encompassed by this Batman thing, and he wants to bring vengeance, and he wants to be, you know, he wants to focus on that. And Alfred is the flip side of that coin, and says you still have a name to uphold, and you still have to go out there and be Bruce Wayne. And though Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne objects and kind of acts like a child, he still does it. You know what I mean? Well, notice the the thing thing that really comes up early on is he could care less about being Bruce Wayne. He just wants to be the Batman. He, his whole life has now become, you know, this vengeance and making sure that what happened to him doesn't happen to anybody else. And you can see he's a bit immature, and especially the way he talks back. Because the other movies you mentioned, uh, they all seem to have kind of a good relationship with Alfred, a joking relationship, you know, and they see Alfred as a father figure. This one... You know, in the beginning, he tells Alfred, you're not my father. And he even mentions later, you're not a Wayne, so don't act like one. So, 
he's kind of a prick in the beginning, and I can see that mu- that's probably something that's going to grow over time in the future movies. Yeah, maybe. I was uh, struck by having this Batman be the forefront of the story, and he also happens to be Bruce Wayne, whereas all previous Batmans, it's Bruce Wayne who also happens to be Batman, is a lot more prominent in the previous uh, versions of of Batman that we get. And sure. so this is something that I really appreciated the fact that this Bruce Wayne is so driven about being Batman. And he tells that to Alfred, you know, that, that this is all he wants to do. And Holy moly, it sounds like it's in jeopardy because Alfred says, you know, the, the bank people are coming to you. Well, why? <laughs> it sounds like he's in, he's in some financial troubles yeah. because he's been so obsessed about being the Batman. Yeah. So during all of this, the acting police commissioner uh, comes to the crime scene and he sees that Batman's there and he starts giving Gordon a rash of shit. We come to find out that uh, the Riddler then goes after that commissioner. I thought that at this point, this is our second Riddler kill. Um, let me ask you this, comic book guy. Was the Riddler a serial killer in the comics? Not typically. You would, you'd see him mostly do his Riddlers, his capers, things like that. When they came to a story like the, the Long Halloween and some other like more recent stories, he's gotten darker, he's gotten grittier, and he has become more of a killer. Uh, uh, so see, it, I, I never, I never uh, remembered the Riddler being a serial killer type. So I kind of appreciated that twist that they put onto that, or or, or that direction they went with it. And then, uh, you know, we get the second uh, Riddler kill, and now he's setting traps. And so that kind of reminded me of Saw. So he was kind of a little bit like Jigsaw meets the Zodiac killer. Uh, but he's the Riddler. So they figure out the message that the Riddler left for Batman and they have to go look for the mayor's car. And so Batman and Gordon uh, go down and they are looking for a USB and they find it. And uh, what did you think of this gig or what did you think of this bit when they pulled out the USB? What was attached to it? The thumb drive yeah so the the previously mentioned uh thumb that we were talking about is was attached to a uh thumb drive <laughs> so it was a it was a riddler pun which i well, thought I, I thought was funny that when i first saw that and he said thumb drive my first thought honestly was oh they're gonna need the thumbprint to unlock something sure and and ultimately they do yeah. but yeah so i'm curious to know I'm wondering if the whole reason why the Riddler brought the Batman in on this was because the Riddler has this preconceived notion that the Batman is smart, very, very smart. And if he is up to the task of being with the Riddler, will he be able to unlock this this first mystery that the Riddler has given the Batman? Sure. You bring up a good point because that's kind of where I was going to. In the comic books especially, a lot of times the Riddler goes after Batman because he wants to prove that he's smarter than Batman. He wants to prove that he's the, the smartest thing out there. So that's where I thought they were going with this movie is that's why he was calling in the Batman because he wanted to prove that he was better than Batman, that he could beat Batman. But we find out differently in the end. So the thumb drive leads them to some pictures of the mayor with this gal who looks pretty beaten up. And it also in that picture is the penguin. Uh, what did you guys think of Colin Farrell's Penguin? 
I thought he did a great job. Um, it was I didn't really see a penguin type character in him early on, but when they kind of started giving him the waddle and a little bit of mannerisms, you kind of started seeing that gangster penguin style character. This, huh. this is one of the first times we've gotten a penguin without the big nose or you know the penguin like features dressed up like a penguin. Yeah. Also being smaller because he's not small. Mm-mm. But I, I thought that. Uh, I thought it was important to have the element of the penguin in there because the penguin claims that he is not necessarily a criminal. He deals with shady people, but he is not necessarily a criminal. Right. So the Batman uh, goes to see the penguin. And uh, what did you guys think of the scene when he comes up to the door and it opens up? And, you know, in other versions of Batman, he either is rappelling down from a roof or he's mysteriously entering in from a window or, or something along those lines lines in this one this batman knocks on the fucking front door you know and they open it up and he's all do you know who i am and they're like yeah and i thought that was fucking brilliant all i can say is the twins that monitored that door were the worst door people ever why because like three times the batman just got right past them would you would you be able to stop batman i don't know but they they sucked at their job they had one job to keep failed every time to keep batman out Except, yeah, well, you know, I guess the was it the third time was actually uh, Bruce. was Bruce Wayne, and they just let him walk right through. Right, because, well, he's fucking Bruce Wayne. Yeah, but right. the other two times, they just got their ass kicked. and Yeah, so I like this bit when Batman goes into the club, and he's looking for the penguin, and he doesn't want to necessarily fight anybody. He just wants to talk to the penguin, right? And, um, you know, he's going, and he's fighting the thugs, and uh, finally the penguin comes out. And I this is where he... Uh, Farrell looks most De Niro-ish to me mm-hmm. is when he's standing on those stairs and he looks down and he introduces himself as Oz, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, uh, that uh, this is probably, I think this is only the second time in uh, film that we've seen the Penguin. Uh, the first one was Danny DeVito where I will never understand the decision to actually turn him into a live fucking Penguin uh, I don't know where Tim Burton got that. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea, but whatever. The only other really version of Penguin we have is from the Gotham t- TV series. I know he's on that. And then the Burgess Meredith from the Adam West days. Yeah. I like the Gotham series. I like that version of Penguin. Yeah, I haven't watched all of it, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but I have to say, I did like this Penguin. He reminded me of a mobster, and he, I think he is pre-Penguin. If that makes any sense, the penguin we see with the umbrella machine guns and the top hat and more of a mob leader. And this one, he's the right hand, right? So maybe in future editions of this series, he will become more of a uh, the head of the mob as opposed to a right hand of the mob. What I liked is, again, the connection to the comic books. Uh, for those who are familiar with the comic books you know that have been out in the last 10, 15 years, Really, they have focused on the penguin running the iceberg lounge, which is, you know, a criminal hangout. And so that's been a big thing. And so I like how they made that connection into this DC universe. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Uh, And during this uh, exchange, we are introduced to Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. What do you guys think of this? I loved her. I thought she did a superb job. Agreed. And uh, the fact that she's her own woman and she's got grit and moxie and she's not afraid she holds her own. She is perfectly content to kick the ass of anybody who gets in her way. And she doesn't care if she's breaking the law or not. 
Yeah. And so she is, uh, her girlfriend is Annika and that she's the gal in the picture. And so Batman sees that she notices, uh, or she's paying attention to Batman and Penguin's conversation. So he follows her and sees what's going on. And then he sees her, you know, get her Catwoman uh, gear on and go out to try and steal back the uh, passport. And this is where they have their first fight. And I thought this was good. I thought, you know, they were just uh, two criminals, I guess, you know, fighting. Question. So when he's up there and he's spying on them, he sees, uh, who's the other gal? Maria? Was that her name? Annika. Annika. We have Annika. Why doesn't he go talk to Annika? Why why not follow? I mean, why does he follow uh, Selena? Because he's looking for Annika. I know, but Selena's jumping out the window, and now he wants to know why. <laughs> he's the world's greatest detective. He's <laughs> got to detect, my man. Yeah, he's, I think he especially wants to see, you know, she's just put on this leather outfit with this mask over her face and everything. What is she up to, and how will it add to the story? Because he does even question her after the fight of, you know, did you kill her, or did you kill uh, the mayor because of what he did to your girlfriend? So that's why he maybe starts suspecting of, oh, she's got a romantic or some kind of relationship with this girl and that now maybe this is my killer. So Batman gets uh, Catwoman to work with him. And I thought this scene was really cool when she has to go into the club and that the tech that she gets to use and uh, this Batman, this tech, it really fit. It really fit with the flow of the film. It fit with the flow of the the story and just their gadgets that we haven't really seen Batman use before, but it makes total sense that he would use it because, well, he's the world's greatest detective. So he has these contact lenses that record what he's seen and he gives them to Selena Kyle to go through uh, this club and they do the facial recognition and it's just it's just really cool gadgetry it's really cool i loved the part where she looks over at somebody and then kind of keeps going and he says you need to look back because i want to see who that person is and she immediately you know from a woman's point of view of that's just going to cause me trouble yeah and it does i dug the uh the tech that batman has set up in the building for his surviling of what it is that she's seeing. It looks so uh, Brazil-like, the movie Brazil. Uh-huh. Uh, or or uh, it, it just looks very hackerish because the tech is not sleek at all. It's just a bunch of hardware thrown together. And I appreciate that, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of, it kind of keeps it real, if you will. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, well, that's one thing I, I was thinking about earlier was up until at least the contacts everything you see with this Batman is more of a, instead of being a Batman with all these funky gadgets that Lucius Fox has made for him, they're more realistic. He's got like a can of mace on him and he's got a taser and he looks like he's just in tactical gear versus, you know, this high tech, you know, Batman outfit. And so I really dug that. It kind of gave him that more real feel to me. So, uh, she follows him, and then we find out that there is a DA in the club and a bunch of people from the DA's office. And now, uh, they're starting, uh, the story is kind of starting to unfold for us, the audience. And now it has to do with Sal Maroney's, uh, conviction going to jail, who is one of the mob bosses and how this is tied to the Riddler. Uh, so Batman is after the Riddler. Selena Kyle is after uh, looking for her friend and they're all kind of intersecting, uh, with this DA. 
We also get the first kind of interaction between Selena and Falcone to see that there was some kind of relationship between them. And you're given the hint that maybe they had a romantic relationship or something, you know, some kind of past history. You know, it deepens a little bit here at this point. Yeah. And Batman finds out that she knows Falcone. You know, and she never said anything. He starts to question her. She gets pissed off, takes the uh, the the contact out. You know, so there's a little mystery there between why Selena Kyle knows Carmen uh, Carmine Falcone like she does. The other thing I appreciate about this movie is the tone that has been set throughout this whole first act. We have an atmosphere of what is central to Batman. He is a creature of the night. He is on the seedier side of a uh, not quite dystopian city, but you know certainly a couple of years potentially away from a dystopian atmosphere, but definitely a, a, a dark, somber, dreary place. And I thought that that was important that it is established for Batman to be Batman. He is a creature of the night and he lurks in the shadows and he is in, in a dreary, sad place. I did like too with this Batman is he doesn't talk a lot. He basically just gives the look and just intimidation of people. Well, I appreciated that as well because I think that that is part of Batman. Batman in general is laconic. He does not offer up very much. And if he does, it is only towards him potentially thinking out loud about what he's trying to interpret from what is before him. The Riddler abducts Coulson, straps a timed collar bomb to his neck, and sends him to interrupt Mitchell's funeral. When Batman arrives, the Riddler calls him via Coulson's phone and threatens to detonate the bomb if Coulson cannot answer three riddles. Batman helps Coulson answer the first two, but Coulson refuses to answer the third. Name of the informant who gave GCPD information that led to a historic drug bust ending mobster Sal Maroney's operation and dies. Batman and Gordon deduce that the information may be the Penguin and track him down to a drug deal. They discover that Maroney's operation never actually ended and many GCPD officers are involved. Selina inadvertently exposes them when she arrives to steal money. As the Penguin flees, Selina discovers Annika's corpse in a car trunk. Batman captures the Penguin but learns that he is not the informant. Batman and Gordon follow the Riddler's trail to the ruins of an orphanage operated by Bruce's parents, Thomas and Martha. They learn that the Riddler was a resident at the orphanage and holds a grudge against the Wayne family. Bruce's butler and caretaker Alfred is hospitalized after opening a letter bomb addressed to Bruce. The Riddler then leaks evidence that Thomas, when he was running for mayor when he was murdered, hired Falcone to kill a journalist for threatening to reveal embarrassing details about Martha's history of mental illness. Bruce, who grew up believing his father was morally upstanding, confronts Alfred, who confirms the allegations but states that Thomas decided to turn Falcone over to the police after learning of the murder. Alfred surmises that Falcone had Thomas and Martha killed to prevent this. When we get to this funeral scene... Uh, there is a kind of a, a vagrant style man who talks to Bruce Wayne about, you know, the, the bad times in Gotham and that he's, you know, the things he has to do for his daughter. And he says, you look very familiar to me, you know, talking to Bruce Wayne. I really hope that that was Joe Chill. 
I hope that that's where they were going with that, and this is going to get resolved in a future movie. Now, if anybody's familiar with who, or not familiar with who Joe Chill is, in the comic books and previous movies, Joe Chill is the one who pulled the trigger killing Martha and Thomas. So I have a little bit of an issue about how the uh, car got to where it got ended up. What you didn't you didn't buy all of that uh, screaming and noise and the car taking absolutely four fucking ever to get there? Even more than that, and this is the benefit of having to see the movie you know twice to this point is that the street out front was pretty packed with cars, totally packed. So first of all, the fact that you know they would have to get all the cars out of the way for this kind of Bronco to come through. The second thing is, did you notice what was at the top of the stairs outside? All of those columns? It didn't look to me like a car could fit between the two columns. Yeah, well, there's that. Movie magic. You know. Uh, was there anything else that you noticed in that scene? That was a really long hallway that he walked down. And then when the car came in, you could clearly see the car was coming in from outdoors. It's like, wow. So I don't know why you guys are nitpicking this brilliant movie apart. Um <laughs> I can't say that with a straight face. Because um, it bothered you too. Yeah, it did. And I kept thinking, pacing-wise and cutting-wise, I think that you know we just lingered on that sound and the the threat of the boom, car coming. Boom, I th- boom, yeah, I thought boom, we, boom, boom. We lingered on that a little bit too long. But anyways, this car comes crashing through, uh, disrupting the funeral, and the DA, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, uh, gets out, and we have a uh, collar bomb strapped around his neck and a sign on his, uh, or a letter taped to his chest that says to the Batman. And so now, because the Batman only comes out at night, we have to wait. And while we were waiting, they have a phone taped to this I, guy's hand that will not stop fucking ringing. I, I know, it just cracked me up just seeing, you know, you have the seriousness of the bomb and the letter, and then you just have this phone, ringing phone taped to his hand that just cracked me up. Yeah. That but never, it just kept ringing. Didn't go to voicemail. <sighs> or maybe he just kept hitting redial. Now, <laughs> maybe one of the things that cracked me up in this movie is every time we see Bruce Wayne out of the bat outfit, he's always just carrying a big bag with the Batman costume in it. So I'm just assuming he must have stashed this bag with his costume somewhere. Can you imagine someone just wandering and finding it? Oh, no, his bag was in the trunk of his car. Oh, was it? Is that so he went out to the trunk of his car to get his costume then come back in? Yeah, well, he had to wait for nightfall. Yeah. So, because I was thinking about that too. Uh, once they, once the dude gets out and Commissioner Go- or uh, Lieutenant Gordon's there, he tells everybody to clear the room, right? So everyone leaves. Bruce Wayne clearly had he had plenty of time to go to his car, get a cup of coffee, put on his bat suit, and then make his dramatic. All while in. the bomb is ticking down the timer. No, the, the timing the timer didn't start until oh, the Riddler started. Right. Oh, I assumed it had started earlier. I thought no, because remember he moving. remember he's just sitting there. Batman had to answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah, that's what started it all. Did you notice that when they opened up the card that on the side it just said ring, 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 ring? I was trying to look at to see what it says. I didn't, I didn't, all I saw was the answer. Yeah, and then it just said answer. Right, yeah. So Batman answers it and the Riddler is there and they're doing these three. Three riddles. Three riddles. And, you know, the last one, Coulson doesn't want to answer. He doesn't want to say who the informant was. He said, you know, I'm already a dead man, but at least this way, it's just me who's dying. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, bomb detonates 
and Batman is blown back. So uh, he gets knocked out, and we don't ever see Batman get knocked out, do we? No. And then uh, he awakens surrounded by all the cops and Gordon. You know, and I thought this scene was actually pretty cool. Uh, Gordon's doing his best to protect him, but yet staying a cop on the same side and everybody's, you know, questioning Gordon and the police captain chief or whoever it is comes in and says, you know, what the hell is this guy doing here? He's a fucking vigilante. And uh, Gordon says, well, give me a second. They clear the room. And I really I love this bit. They start uh, looking like they're having a deep conversation. But the conversation is, how do we get you out of here? I liked right before that, one of, one of my favorite scenes of this movie is, you know, when the police are all trying to grab at his mask and pull his mask off and everything, and he kind of lunges at one of the police officers and throws him against the cage. Uh, he says, I've got you now for assaulting a police officer. And he looks at him and goes, three officers. I just love that response when you're surrounded by police officers that you make a comment like that. Yeah. Well, he doesn't give a fuck. He's yeah. a Batman. And nobody's going to touch his mask. No, absolutely not. And so uh, in order to escape, uh, Batman slugs Gordon and then escapes to the roof. And in other Batman movies, this is where he would jump off and use his cape to glide. With no Uh, fear. With no fear. But uh, as soon as Batman gets up uh, to the top of the building, he looks over the edge. He's fucking scared. Yeah, and you get that impression that he's not used to jumping off buildings like that. This isn't something normal for him because we don't really see that much in this movie. No, we only see it this one time. Yeah. You know, he, he zips up and his, his outfit turns into a wingsuit. And instead of having his big cape uh, carrying through the city, it's this wingsuit and he's glidering down. And that landing. This is where they. I feel like they make him a more of a realistic Batman, a more of a, you know, a, a human being in a costume in that what happens with the landing. Yeah, what the hell is he doing pulling the chute right before the bridge? If it was realistic, he'd be fucking dead. Yeah, but I'm just saying, he doesn't land perfectly. He doesn't, you know, he, it's not like he's done this all the time. Well, this clearly is, he doesn't He doesn't make a good decision either because he opened his fucking chute underneath the bridge. Yeah, and he... Moron. Gets, and you notice he kind of hobbles away at the, after that. You know, he's well, he, sh- he should up. have been doing less hobbling and more dying. He should that, be grateful that he's able to hobble. That's right. He fucking hit, bit the dirt. And then so he has to go up and uh, meet with uh, Gordon again. And this, uh, I love what Gordon says to him as soon as he gets off the elevator. Uh, at least you could have pulled the punch. And Batman says, I did. And if you watch this punch, he knocks Gordon the fuck out. Well, you bring up a great point. I love the alternate version of the bat signal they got going on here. First of all, it's not on top of the police building. It's up in some kind of, you know, construction site where they have it kind of hidden. And it's also a two-way communication device in that, you know, instead of just Gordon lighting it up all the time for Batman to come, Batman lights it up every so often to get Gordon to come out. Yeah. Because if they see it on, it'll be like, oh, I guess it's him. Yeah. Yeah. But what if Gordon was just doing paperwork for the evening and he never got outside? I would I would assume that Gordon's desk is by a window. The way I see it, with a serial killer out there, him working with Batman, um, he is probably sitting at his office window all day and night just staring up at the sky waiting for the signal to go on. 
So uh, after all of this, they kind of deduce that uh, the penguin, the penguin's got to be the informant, right? So he needs to go talk to the penguin again. Uh, but this time uh, he goes to see the penguin and Selena Kyle's there and they're stealing some money. And then this turns into a big shootout. And the first time we saw the movie, this is where it crapped out on us. You know, it was we it get was this just after we get this big long car chase uh, between the penguin and Batman. What'd you guys think of that scene? The whole car scene. I, I want to go back to just a moment before the shooting starts, and what does Gordon do? There's automatic weapons being fired, but he goes in anyway, and he gets his gun out and he starts returning fire. That's ballsy. Yeah, well, he's Gordon. I liked even before that. When, you know, Batman again is doing his voyeur thing of watching everything that's going on and figuring it out and scoping out where everybody is. He sees Selena, you know, pull up on her motorcycle. And first thing he says is, well, it just got complicated. And then we are introduced right after the shooting gets going to the new Batmobile. What did you guys think of this Batmobile? At first, I wasn't a big fan when I saw in the previews and saw pictures of it. It felt very Road Warrior, very Mad Max. Now, going back and reading the inspiration, uh, the director wanted it to feel animalistic. He wanted it to be scary, like something out of a horror movie that would strike fear in people. And when you hear that engine revving and the fire going off and everything, I think they nailed it. And so I'm actually, it's really grown on me, this muscle car being the Batmobile, especially an early version of the Batmobile. What about you? I liked it. Uh, I thought it was uh, grounded in reality. Um, dare I say I like it better than the Tumblr? Uh, my favorite Batmobile of all time will always be the 89 version, Tim Burton's version, but, uh, this one's good. I like this one too. And it's totally something that Bruce Wayne would have built. You know what I mean? That's, and that's kind of the feel you get from it. Pre Lucius Fox. Yeah. And, and that's what I dug about this Batmobile. This Batmobile was just like that computer technology we were talking about earlier. It is definitely something that has been put together by Bruce by himself and it, it's not dependent on a particular look. And so if, it, you know, if, he, if he destroys it, he can definitely put another one together. It's not this custom, custom body style, right? Yeah. I feel like that it is all about what's underneath it that counts. And that's a great looking engine that we see in the back yeah. with, with the blue flame. So yeah. I, I dug this Batmobile, even though it's not saying it's a Batmobile. Us, the viewing audience, calls it the Batmobile but I, I don't think he does. I would have to say, looking at all the Batmobiles that we have been introduced to in the TV series and the movies and things like that, you know, Batman is a character that's supposed to strike fear in the heart of criminals. This is the first Batmobile that does the same thing, that kind of fits that Batman theme of inspiring fear. What, what do you think? I mean, I don't think any of the previous ones, they looked neat and you know, stylistic and, you know, techno and all that they didn't strike any fear i don't think of course they did because they were afraid of batman and when the batmobile shows up batman's with them so i think they all struck fear into them maybe not into us as the audience this one definitely uh looks like a monster like you said uh but i think all of the batmobiles i think all of the bat vehicles uh installed fear because well who was driving it and so then we get this chase, and this chase that happens, it's a pretty good-looking chase. And I really appreciated how determined Batman was. He wasn't 
crashing through things consistently that he was that he was you know weaving in and out in this pursuit of the penguin the penguin taunting batman from his car batman can't hear it but i really enjoyed the taunting and the uh, the goading that the penguin was giving batman from his car yeah and so uh the batmobile has to dip and weave in and out of traffic and i thought they did a good job with that and then finally it all comes to an end and uh batman gets his guy and this is where they uh are start interrogating uh the penguin uh gordon and batman and then this is where they realize he's not the informant but this is where you were uh alluding to earlier because they have him tied up when they leave him uh, he starts hopping around because uh, he's still restrained. He's still restrained, but it makes him waddle. So just like a penguin, just like a penguin. That was the little waddle callback. So Batman and Gordon kind of figure out who the Riddler is targeting, and they finally figure out that uh, the Riddler is going to go after Bruce Wayne next. And so uh, Batman takes off and tries to get home, tries to call Alfred. And in the meantime, we're cutting back and forth. There was a package delivered to Bruce Wayne. Alfred opens it up. The bomb goes off. And I'm thinking to myself, no way do they fucking kill Alfred. You can't. I know. That's what I was thinking. I kept wondering right away. Alfred had to figure out that this was something sent by the Riddler because he saw the font. He saw, you know, how it was set up and it was to the Batman, or I mean, to, you know, Bruce Wayne, but, but the font was the same as the ciphers and all that and the cards that Alfred had been looking at. So right away he knew. So I'm wondering if he was, you know, anticipating this could have been a trap for Bruce Wayne. And he was going to spring the trap to protect Master Bruce. Uh, maybe because as soon as he opens up the letter and sees it ticking, he throws it, you know, he has the wherewithal to get rid of it. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, he got rid of it just enough where as to not kill him, but I mean, he is in the hospital for a while, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, you do get the impression too here. He really does care about Alfred. And that was a nice little touch to have the continually ringing phone. We see the house phone ringing and ringing Meanwhile, Alfred is working with the envelope and the phone shot again, ringing, ringing, only to find out that, oh, it was from an hour ago that Alfred set the bomb off. Yeah. Yeah. The timing was, we're meant to think that it's happening at the same time, but in reality, uh, the bomb has already gone off. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of introduces us to the part of the story where I felt "Eh, we're getting a little bit of long. We're getting a little long here. Same. Right. So we we are we are told that uh, Thomas Wayne had a journalist killed who was digging into Martha's past and her mental illness and that he had Falcone do it. So Bruce thinks that Falcone and his dad were in business together. And and I felt that this storyline it was a bit long uh agreed you know and from where we were coming from and how this movie was being built and us focusing on the riddler and his crimes and the serial killer aspect and now we are turning it into a political thriller now one thing and i can't remember the reporter's name i wish i could in the moment but this was an actual easter egg that was put in that the reporter's name is actually the same as a character in Batman who goes on to become one of his arch enemies, which is the name Hush. So the same last name. So there is some connection between that reporter and one of Batman's arch enemies. I got to say that while this is being revealed to us in the story, 
it, it's about at this time I'm thinking, how the hell did the Riddler get all of this information to be constructing this is what is be, being revealed through my little clues? Where did he get all this information from? He's the Riddler, and plus it was written that and way. He's, and he's a super genius, and I get that. But at the same time, I'm thinking, wow, you know a lot of stuff that nobody else seems to know. I got the impression, especially from where they find him in the end and he's overlooking the club, is that he, you know, that's where he got all the pictures. You think they would have figured out from the pictures early on of, you know, where were a lot of those angles of those pictures shot. But he, you know, he had witnessed a lot of things. He also, we find out in the end, uses the dark web a lot in these, you know, message boards where he communicates with people that he probably found out some information from sharing between people in there. Yeah. That's an interesting angle. I hadn't considered that before. That's a, that's a good point, John. So while uh, Alfred is in the hospital, him and uh, Bruce have a conversation, and then they kind of figure out that uh, Falcone was responsible for Thomas and Martha's death. And it was also revealed early on that Bruce, uh, uh, Thomas Wayne saved Falcone's life. Yeah. And so with that, Bruce feels that he can go talk to Falcone to say what really happened between me, you and my dad. Yeah. And he tells him, he tells yeah, him, but he, but he makes it, but Falcone makes it sound like Maroney was responsible for their death. Yes. But in yes. Uh, reality, it was really Falcone. Selena tells Batman that Falcone is her neglectful father. She learns that Annika was strangled because Mitchell told her that Falcone was the informant and resolves to kill him. Batman and Gordon arrive at the Iceberg Lounge in time to stop her, but the Riddler kills Falcone. Unmasked as forensics accountant Edward Nashton, the Riddler is incarcerated in Arkham State Hospital. Nashton says that he was envious of the sympathy Bruce received after his parents' murder while he was ignored. He idolizes Batman, who inspired him to target the corrupt. Searching his apartment, Batman discovers that Nashton has stationed car bombs around Gotham and cultivated an online following that plans to assassinate Mayor-elect Bella Real. The bombs destroyed the breakwaters around Gotham and flood the city. A shelter is set up in an indoor area where Nashton's followers shoot real but are stopped by Batman and Selina. In the aftermath, Nashton befends another inmate, while Selina deems Gotham beyond saving and leaves. Batman aids recovery efforts and vows to inspire hope in Gotham. Roll credits. When they first brought up this phone call and they play the phone call of Falcone killing Annika, uh, my first thought was, phone call is never going to hold up in court. They could have basically said that that was pieced together, that that was a fake call, that they were reading lines, that, you know, it wasn't, you know, it didn't actually tie him to a body. You don't know if there were one people, one person, 10 people in the room who actually did it, who orchestrated maybe, but no, come on. So I, I'm surprised that Falcone even had a, you know, a glimpse of a worry about this phone call. Well, it doesn't matter because Falcone steps out into the light and the Riddler shoots him. Yeah, which is basically, you know, what the Riddler has been saying all along is bring the rat into the light. Yeah. So all of this was for uh, the Riddler to bring down the corrupt um, and in a weird way trying to do Batman's job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but he ends up killing... Falcone 
And then instead of escaping, he goes to a coffee shop. And this is where uh, we see the Riddler without his mask on for the first time. And he is captured and sent to Arkham State Hospital. Now, b- before that, though, we have the big interaction between Selena and Falcone where she's going there to kill him. And I thought it was so interesting how, you know, Batman took his own sweet time of getting everything all set up so that the lights would go off and getting into the club and all of that. Couldn't she, what happens if she had just walked in there and shot him immediately? Then she would have shot him. She, he just assumed that she was going to take 20 minutes of setup time before even, you know, pulling out the gun and shooting him. Now, you got to say that Falcone kind of sunk to a, even a darker level when he was totally okay with killing his own daughter and admits to killing Selena's uh, mother. Yeah. yeah. Well, Falcone's a piece of shit. So, piece of shit. So what are you going to do? Why do you suppose the Riddler more or less chose or wanted to be captured at this time? Because he talked about it later in his video that by, this, by the time things come to be, he will already be in prison. He will already be in jail. Why do you suppose he wanted that or orchestrated that to be part of his master plan? I got the impression that he was kind of pulling, you know, a little bit of Joker from the Dark Knight in that at this point, he wanted to be an inspiration for a movement. He wanted to create what he basically did, which is a whole group of people that are following exactly what he did. He was basically sacrificing himself to create this movement of people who are going to go out and kill people to clean up Gotham. Or he wanted to be captured so the police knew where he was. That way, when all these people started getting assassinated, they would have no idea where that was coming from. You know, and, and it was actually, you know, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he was guilty and all that, but it could have thrown a little bit of a monkey wrench in that. Did he kill, commit all the murders? Did he commit some of the murders? Here's all these people with the same outfits, the same costumes, and the same motives. Yeah. So uh, Batman goes to see the Riddler, and this is where, uh, you know, he, he kind of uh, tells Batman, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And there's a riddle and Batman has to solve it. And by the time Batman uh, figures it out, he figures out that Riddler has put these car bombs that destroy all the brake rotters around Gotham, thus flooding the city, you know, and as these bombs were going off around the city, uh, I kept thinking of uh, dark Knight rises when uh, the bridges, when all the, the bridges, bridge, when all the bridges start blowing up. Same, so, same. Um, yeah, uh, in most Batman movies, you got a lot of explosions with bridges blowing up. Right before that happened, and Batman is discovering uh, the uh, the map that is underneath the rug. I appreciated the moments before that where he is in the apartment, and then the police officer that initially gave him a hard time comes up, and he doesn't necessarily tell Batman to stop doing what he's doing. He, he just kind of sort of like, oh, you type of thing and then batman ignores him and keeps doing what he's doing yeah he, he he's kind of accepted it now right i mean maybe this guy is trying to help the cops out a little bit i mean if he if he's good enough for gordon maybe he's good enough for me and maybe this is one of the good cops who's not corrupt and i think they're starting to realize too that batman really helped them in the investigation he's really been helping all along and that maybe he knows what he's doing now, if we go back a little bit again to where he actually f- confronts the Riddler in prison, was there any time that you thought he really did know uh, Batman's identity? In the beginning, I did. 
And it, that took me back to Batman Forever because Jim Carrey's Riddler finds out that Bruce Wayne is really Batman too. So it made sense to me at this point that he would know. It wasn't until they're talking and then Batman figures out, oh, wait, he doesn't know who I am. And then he can, you know, engage with them. And that's when he starts to talk. But it was definitely plausible because he he's a genius. Right. Oh, I, I for for the first beginning of that conversation, I bought that uh, uh, he knew Bruce Wayne was he Batman. He kept saying Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I thought the actor did a great job, you know, with Riddler in this scene, kind of, you know, getting out his anguish about, you know, the jealousy of, you know, Bruce, poor Bruce Wayne, the orphan versus how, you know, he was living as an orphan in the orphanage and how they were treated. I thought that was a a good acting scene. Yeah. 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 And it was nice to see uh, the, the other side of, of the Riddler, that being the quiet, docile side. And then by the end of it, then we get to see the raging Riddler, which we had only previously seen when he's in his uniform, if you will. I really like, too, how when he starts gushing over Batman, talking about how you've inspired me, and he starts comparing notes like, what did you think of my mask? You know, my mask was made to look like your mask, but it wasn't as cool as your mask. But, you know, I I really tried to make everything look similar to you in the way you did things. Yeah. I do feel, you know, it's not quite as stylized in, you know, as in the comic books, but his mask had a very hush feel to it. Again, kind of bringing in that themes from the long Halloween and some other Batman stories, you know, the, if you had added almost like a mummy look to it, the style of that mask would have looked just like hush. The other thing that I think works with that mask that, that adds to the creepiness level of it is the fact that he's wearing his glasses on top of the mask. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I'm pretty sure the Riddler never wore a mask. I mean, he wore an eye mask, but he never wore a full on right. cover your whole face mask. So yeah. I thought it was an interesting choice by the filmmakers to go that route. And yeah, the, the glasses definitely added a creep factor to it. And the fact that he wore plastic around his head, that was clear plastic or saran wrap that was around his head. Uh, so the bombs go off, the city is flooding, and the assassination for the mayor-elect is going down, but Batman, Selina, and Gordon come to the rescue, and this is the bit where, um, you know, in other movies, after the bad guy is taken care of, you know, Batman just disappears and takes off. But in this one, we see Batman actually helping out in the relief efforts. You know, so this is where he goes, I think, from, you know, being straight vengeance to, you know, wanting to inspire some hope. I love the, you know, the kind of recall scene where in the beginning of the movie where he saves the guy from the, you know, the the gang members who are wanting to beat him up and he goes to kind of confront the, the victim. The victim's like, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. But in this last scene after, you know, he's seen helping people and he puts helps put the girl on the stretcher, she reaches up and grabs him and grabs a hold of his hand. His arm. His arm and just kind of shows that they're not afraid of him anymore, that they are inspired by him. Yeah, that they've figured out that he is working with them. They're mm-hmm. working for them. You know, and, trying to make Gotham a better place. And, and it's interesting having him when he has fallen into the water and he has the flare and he finds the survivors underneath the wreckage, and he stands there with his arm outstretched for several moments, and all of the people in screen don't move at all towards him. Right. Instead, who is it that first goes 
to him. Uh, I want to say it's the mayor, but it's not. It it's is the mayor's um, son. It's the boy. Oh, right, right. No, the, I'm sorry. It was the mayor elect, the black lady. No. I, no. No, I, I understand yes. what you're saying. Yes. yes. But it is the boy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and so I, I thought that that was a, uh, I, I thought that that was a, a gentle way of saying that if a, a little one can trust Batman, then maybe the grownups can too. Yeah. And the, and the little one actually has a, a history with Batman, right? He was there when his father died and Batman kind of stopped and looked at him and you could tell that Bruce Wayne kind of felt for this kid because he's been there. You know, and so surrounded his, by police so right it, after his right. parents, and so his heart definitely went out to him, and so that was kind of a cool callback that he was the first one to go. And then after the kid goes, then the mayor elect goes, mm-hmm. and then once the mayor elect goes, everybody goes, "Oh, this guy must be okay." So and they that, all go to, and that was a nice shot, a nice overhead shot afterwards. Batman leading them, and then you saw the you know the the throngs of people behind him as yeah. he was leading them yeah. towards safety. Can we back up and go back up to the scaffolding? All of the fucking gunshots that he was taking to his armor. Holy shit. Yeah. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. And I and I like his armor in this one. And the fact that there is so many bullets flying his way, because, you know, in earlier iterations, you know, the gunplay seems to be downplayed, I feel like. That's how I recall it. That there is not necessarily a lot of gunplay that Batman has to be confronted with in earlier iterations in the movie versions that we've been watching. But here, man, he's taken a lot of a lot of fire. And God, that double no, it wasn't a double, but just that shotgun. Shotgun. You know, holy shit. Yeah, Don actually, you know, I think I heard you say something like, oh shit, when that happened. That was me. I said oh, oh okay. shit. Yeah, when he got knocked down, you know, he was what, you know, three feet away from him? Holy shit. Uh, one thing that happens in that same scene is uh, Catwoman's about to get killed and Bruce is fighting to stay conscious. He pulls out a green vial and injects it into himself. Did you get where that call out was, what that was hinting towards? I just assume it was adrenaline. That's exactly what I thought it was. In the comic books, Batman uses a green vial to give himself extra strength and it also makes him extra angry and extra vicious. And that is where Venom came from in the comic books. He actually invented Venom that went on for another arch enemy, Bane, to use you know, in future comic books. And that's what I kind of got the impression is when he jabs it in himself and jumps up and starts fighting that guy, he really starts beating the hell out of him. And I'm thinking that's the effect of vengeance is it, it, you know, it enhances his aggression as well as his strength. So... I really think that that was a call out to Venom. So do you guys like the way that the movie wrapped up where um, I appreciated having the, the date stamp again? Because we get, we get a date stamp at the beginning of the movie. And what's the point of a date stamp unless we have something to compare it to later? So the fact that they ended, they ended the movie with that, I, I appreciated that. Oh, all right. So all this is over the course of almost a week. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of it. Did you like where they left Batman on the motorcycle? Uh, sure. And they go in two different directions. Mm-hmm. But I also dug the fact that um, his motorcycle more or less is just a motorcycle. It's not the bat cycle. Well, the front of it kind of looks like a bat. That's why I chuckled when a, I saw a, it. A little. Yeah. And, you can, and just like the Batmobile kind of looks like a Batmobile. You know what I mean? They're they're just subtle enough and different enough to be 
uh, resonated as uh, something Batman would uh, drive, uh, but not over the top like we've seen in other iterations of the Batman franchises. Two things I appreciated about this ending. One, you know, in most of the Batman movies, not all of the Batman movies, it seems like they just kill off the bad guy at the end and call it good. This one, they don't kill off the bad guy. You know, he's in prison, and, of course, his next-door cellmate... Um, yeah, we get a, we, little, a little nod. We get the nod that that's possibly the Joker. I mean, it, the director has come out and said, yes, that's who I meant it to be, to be the Joker, as a hint that he might have an, an interaction in the future. So we didn't kill off the villain, so we leave him there for possibility of a future, whether it's during the spinoff or whether it's, you know, because they're going to do a Gotham City spinoff um, or if they're, you know, going to bring him back in a future movie. The other thing is, in how many of the Batman movies does his identity identity get leaked to somebody, whether it's the love interest or whatever, he never reveals his identity to anybody. Even Catwoman in the end doesn't know who he is. Yeah. So I appreciate that, that, that they keep to that whole Batman motif. Well, again, this is only his second year in, and I don't think they would jeopardize uh, giving away his identity. Even when he does it in the other films, he's already been Batman for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Right. So they did a good job of keeping the time frame of this being his second year and everything that was involved with that. All right. So uh, with this is our, what, fifth, fifth iteration of a Batman series since 1989 ish. Uh, you have the Tim Burton, uh, Joel Schumacher Batman. You have the. Christopher Nolan Batmans, you have the DECU Batmans, and then you have this Batman. Out of all the Batmans we've seen, which one of your Batman suits is your favorite? Wow. John wants to give a cringy nose, but he is really struggling mightily. Yeah, well, I, I know exactly which one he likes. Do, do you, he likes the one with the nipples. Yes. That's a, that's a fucking That's movie. a foregone conclusion. Yeah, he likes, the, he likes the Val Kilmer bat nipples showing off the bat butt uh, version. Well, and, you know, if you, you know, to each his own. If you twisted those nipples, it injected adrenaline into him to get his, you know, energy up. Well, shit, I didn't know. And he's not disagreeing. So, Don, what about you? Um, I th- I'm gonna have to say the second suit from uh, The Dark Knight, the oh. one that Lucius recreates from, the one where he can turn his head. As I say, he could actually turn his head. Yeah, I think that one's the best looking suit. I think Pattinson's is a close second. Yeah, I I really dig this bat this bat suit it it really uh feels uh, not exotic and because it's not exotic whereas all of the other bat suits are exotic it's like oh, could you recreate that i mean how 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 hard would it be to to have the the practical equipment that we saw in this movie i i think it's a lot more plausible but i do agree i do like the christopher nolan bat suit all right john what do you want to say about my favorite costume, not the bat nipples that you haven't. Well, I thought one, it was, well, I thought it was one and the same. Well, if we had to put the bat nipples aside, um, I'm really torn. That's why I was cringing my no- my nose a little bit. Again, you know, going into this movie, I really didn't want to like Robert Pattinson as Batman. I didn't want to like anything about this movie, and that's why I'm glad I was wrong about a lot of things. I'm glad that you know it actually did impress me. I loved the stitching on the mask and the costume. And I always like to think of it as, you know, when I go out and finally buy my bat costume, which one am I going to get? Um, all of them. 
Mm, yeah, my wife would kill me. All of them? That. This coming from the guy who has nine lightsabers. Yeah, you're going to get fucking all of them. Quit pretending like Julie's going to kill you. But I will say I really like this. But I'm going to side with you, Don. I think the Christopher Nolan one wins out a little bit more, and it comes down to the cape. I like the cape better on the Christopher Nolan version than I did on this version. Uh, Paul Dano Riddler or Jim Carrey Riddler? Oh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano. I liked the Riddler that didn't feel like a joke, didn't feel like a punchline, that this one actually did give off a creepy vibe. He fit this movie he fit the role and he didn't come off gimmicky to me okay top three batman villains in the movies go oh well it's easy for number one heath ledger joker uh after that that's where it gets questionable uh i would go with jack nicholson's joker would be my second call can we say joke two jokers i don't give a fuck okay so jack nicholson joker i i just you know, loved his interpretation of the Joker. I thought he did a great well, or a great job of making a kind of a gangster Joker. Um, third one, that's a tough call. Uh, for villains, I think I'm going to lean towards maybe even this Riddler. I thought he just did a good job of being menacing and uh, just being very dark, being very serial killer-esque. Go. My first one is Heath Ledger's Joker. He is... Uh, a psychopath. He is a psychopath uh, played uh, to perfection, I think. And then uh, number two is I like this psychopath that we get with uh, Paul Dano's Riddler. I, I really think that he is very effective, especially when he is uh, communicating to us, the audience, through the cell phone screen, and he is yelling, and we hear his breathing. And he's up close into the camera. Very, very menacing. As for the third one, I, I don't know. I, nobody necessarily springs to the front of the line. I, I realize that, that Bane is certainly an intimidating factor, but he comes across not necessarily as, you know, psychopath scary. So, I don't know, maybe Ra's al Ghul? How about you? Heath Ledger's Joker, Bane, and then uh, the Riddler. Bane was intimidating. I was uncomfortable every fucking time he came on screen. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing that he was a lapdog at the end, but whatever. Everything up until that moment, uh, he made me very nervous. The way he presented himself, the, the voice, just, yep, the way he would hold his jacket and walk out. I mean, Bane was pretty fucking intimidating. All right, uh, favorite Alfred out of all the series is? So, because I've been thinking about that, and I'm wondering, and I have to say that I, I like elements of all of these Alfreds and I, I guess I don't have a strong sense of who and what Alfred is supposed to be enough to say that this actor portrayed Alfred in the truest sense that I think that I think he should be I like the Jeremy Irons Alfred I I, I dug totally dug the Michael Caine Alfred and I, I like the Andy Circus Alfred as well. They all have compelling elements that make me believe that he is the the man behind the man of Batman. Sure. So, so you so you have no answer. I have no answer. You? When I close my eyes and I see I think of Alfred of who is Alfred, the first one that pops in my mind is the Tim Burton one. What was his name? Michael something or other. Yeah. He, I, that's the Alfred I see. Uh, as for my favorite portrayal of him, 
Jeremy Irons just because I love the snarkiness of the character. See, that's what I dig about his, so, that Alfred. So I would go with kind of the two of, of who portrayed him, who looked like him, who I would expect to be Alfred is, you know, the original one from Tim Burton. The dialogue, I go with Jeremy Irons. Could, you guys are all fucking bonkers. Michael Caine will always be the perfect Alfred. Jeremy Irons is a close second because of that banter and because you bought the relationship. And I feel like Andy Serkis could be there. We just don't have enough of him yet. But I think he's a well enough actor while he brings a lot to that role. So I would go Kane, Irons, and Serkis. Any particular Catwoman you like best? Ah, good question, good sir. Um... Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, she's, come on. What she's can the only you... other one. She's the only other no, one. No, there is one other. Eat balls. I like Dan Hathaway. No. I thought she was good. Really? Absolutely, really. I yeah. thought she did fine. Uh, what about... I'm gone. Who's your favorite Catwoman? You know, I'm starting to lean towards Zoe a little bit, but Michelle Pfeiffer is up there, too. Yeah, I would go Zoe, Hathaway, and Pfeiffer. For sure. I, I Maybe not in that order. I but. didn't care for Hathaway as, as Catwoman, so I wouldn't even put her on my list. Well, I, that doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of things that you are questionable about. Yeah, so I, um, for me, it's really tight between, uh, between this Catwoman and the Returns Catwoman. Uh, Penguins, Danny DeVito or Colin Farrell? Because this is all we really get. Colin Farrell, I think. Thank you. for Fuck you for even having to fucking think about it. They turned Danny DeVito into a fucking penguin. Literally a fucking penguin. You're okay with that. But he felt more like the character of a penguin. This one was just Because a he was a fucking, and that's who the penguin is. He's a fucking gangster. Yeah, but in the comic books, he started out like a character like Danny DeVito. You know, and if you look at Burgess Meredith, who will, to me, always be the best. Um, this, this one in this movie, I'd go second, and then I'd go with Danny DeVito third. I wouldn't even put Danny DeVito on my fucking list. I love Danny DeVito. Don't get me wrong. But he, they, he's a fucking actual penguin. What, what do you th- doesn't make any sense. What do you think of Burgess Meredith's portrayal? Oh, oh he's classic. Yeah, I mean, he he's even classic. had that. Rah, 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 rah. Well, that was a little bit over. Yeah, the top. but that was all camp. Oh, yeah. that was camp. Yeah. So, yeah, I liked Colin Farrell in this. So, should we rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. Hey, professor, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we consider to be cinematic gold. One fuck is a movie where you wanted to see it and. Okay, that's it. I never need to see that again because that sucked. All right. And what would a zero be? Zero fucks. You get you don't give a fuck about that movie. Somebody owes me two fucking hours of my life back. Uh all right. So uh fuckface over here had to go last because he had to shit on a perfectly good movie. Uh so this week I am dying to hear what he is rating the Batman. As I've mentioned kind of previously. I wanted to hate this movie. I wanted to hate Robert Pattinson's portrayal. You know, when we first heard that Robert Pattinson was going to be in this, how many text messages did you send me, Don, of, look, it's Sparkle Batman, Sparkle Batman. So I, again, I kept thinking, oh, my God, they're going to ruin it. I honestly liked the movie. Thought they did a great job. I thought Robert Pattinson, while he really didn't have to do much acting this movie because he didn't have a whole lot of dialogue in the movie, he did a good job of giving us the impression of an early Batman, a young Batman who's still trying to find his feet and trying to fit the costume and fit the cowl. So I thought he did a good job. Uh, Colin, amazing as Penguin. Zoe did a great job as Catwoman. Andy, 
a believable and very, you know, family loving type of Alfred that you could see. You actually felt that he cared about Bruce Wayne. I loved how everything felt real. It, it, it gave that more impression of this is what if basically someone wanted to become a vigilante, wanted to become an everyday hero without any kind of superpowers. This is how they would start out with, with just a tactical gear, you know, just some, you know, tactical weapons, you know, hyped up muscle car working out of a, you know, a little, you know, workshop area. It really felt like a more realistic feel to it. I did feel that this movie was slow in parts. And it was a comment that I made, I think, right after we left this movie, which was the fact that we had to see it one and a half times. It felt even slower the second time that we saw it. In fact, I almost felt like I was falling asleep during the first half of the movie because some of the parts were just dragging on and on. And so that told me that while it was a good movie and I really enjoyed it the first time we saw it, not much rewatchability to this movie. I don't know if I'd want to sit through a whole nother viewing of this movie. You know, if someone offered me up free tickets tomorrow to go see it, I might pass on it. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the hell out of it the first time I saw it. And I love the fact that they threw me for a loop, that they kept throwing these red herrings out there, making me think the movie was going to go in one direction and then they pull it in another direction that you think this is the rat and it turns out that's the rat and that this is the killer, but really here's the killer and here is his motivation, but really he has a different motivation. So uh, I enjoyed the movie. So that's where I'm struggling on trying to decide where exactly where I want to put my ratings. I had to go back and look at what we rated Dark Knight because Dark Knight will always be the movie that every other Batman is compared to every other Batman movie. And Ken, I know you gave Dark Knight a five. I gave it a five. Don, you gave it a 4.75. So based on those ratings, my enjoyability of the movie and whether or not it's rewatchable, I'm going to have to go with a four on this movie. So he gives it a four. Professor, you're up. All right, so The Batman, as I had stated in the previous pod, I was quietly, demurely optimistic as to what this movie was going to show. I deliberately stayed away from all iterations other than just watching the preview once because I wanted to see the movie fresh, didn't want to have any spoilers, didn't want to hear haters hating on it or any of that bullshit. So I wanted a truer Batman representation of... Batman at the heart is supposed to be a detective. And this detective operates in the shadows. He's by himself, and it is in the gritty city of Gotham. And I felt like that this movie met all of those expectations for me. And so I was very pleased to have the detective story be a large part of what propelled this movie forward. The Joker not being in the movie was very refreshing other than just that little bit at the end. So I didn't know who my villain was going to be. I knew that the Riddler was in it because of the preview of the coffee cup. And so because of that, I am very, very happy to have another uh, supervillain for Batman to to uh, be up against because Batman needs to have a worthy adversary to make a compelling Batman story. So I thought that this version of the Riddler was uh, very, very impressive. And I appreciated um, everything that Paul Dano brought to the role because he really was uh, a a very intimidating character uh, with what we were seeing 
um, through the cell phone, as I was mentioning earlier. Zoe Kravitz as the Catwoman dug her, and I thought that she showed who Catwoman is in particular when Commissioner Gordon and Batman respond to the bat signal that neither one of them set to see her upstairs kicking that guy's ass, and I'm thinking, he, she's just going to throw him over the ledge in a moment. And then in the end, that's what she does. She decides, fuck this, and she just shoves him over the edge, and she, and she, I'm out of here. It's like, okay, I dug that about her because that's who Catwoman is. She is strong, self-driven, and I also thought that the chemistry between her and the Batman came across as uh, believable. And because of that, I really appreciated that aspect between the two characters, that they are two that are definitely very interested in each other. And I appreciated having that included in the story as well. For the most part, you know, Commissioner Gordon, played by Jeffrey Wright, I dug the... Well, he wasn't commissioner yet, but I really dug the version of Gordon because he is torn between how much or how capable is he of being a police officer in helping out a vigilante. And I dug the fact that, you know, when the chips are down, this is where he's going to go. He can trust in and believe that Batman is going to do things right. Maybe not by the law, but justice is going to be what it needs to be. And so I really appreciated that aspect about this as well. And as we spoke of earlier, this movie, it kind of drags. Three hours is a haul in this. You definitely feel it in certain aspects where it's like, come on, let's go, let's go. And so the fact that, you know, that drug for me, it made me feel a couple of times like, Okay, so the next time I'm watching this, it's like, am I going to do this movie in a couple of pushes where you know I'm going to pause for five minutes and, and then I'll get up and do something? Or if I go choose to see it again in the theater, it's like, well, it'll definitely be time in my bathroom break type of thing because, you know, I'm not sold on every minute of the movie. It, it definitely gets long in some parts. I didn't have necessarily any strong feelings per se about, uh, about the Uh, Colin Farrell aspect of the Penguin, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that that was Colin Farrell underneath. What the Penguin brought to in the storyline, I liked that. I thought that he did a good job at being, you know, what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be a crime guy that is not a crime guy. I'm not, no, I'm not like that. People around me are, but I'm not like that. Yes, you are. So, for the most part, I, I think that this movie works in the DC universe in bringing forth better, more sto- uh, thought-compelling stories for the DC cinematic universe to move forward on. And I look forward to seeing what comes in the future. And I'm definitely interested in seeing what the next Batman movie is going to look like. I, I, I thought that this movie rates a solid four fucks. Four fucks from you and a 4.0 from you. All right, I guess it's my turn. Every Batman movie that comes out will forever be compared to The Dark Knight, right? And so The Dark Knight is the benchmark, and, you know, if you if you want to be a really good Batman film, you have to be, you know, just as good, if not better, than The Dark Knight. And, and that's a really tough feat to pull. Does this film do it? Not exactly, but 
That being said, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yes, I, like everyone else, thought Robert Pattinson was an odd choice for uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman. As Bruce Wayne and Batman, I have to say that there was really no difference in between the two characters. Uh, when you, if you look at your successful uh, Batman slash Bruce Wayne's and who your favorites are, there's two different people. There's the Batman and then there's Bruce Wayne. And that actor who portrays him has to be able to differentiate the two and be able to sell us on the two. And up until now, uh, I feel that Christian Bale has done it the best. And, you know, Michael Keaton's a close second to that. And then, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say fucking Ben Affleck. I thought Ben Affleck did okay with being Bruce Wayne and uh, being a uh, being Batman. Uh, Robert Pattinson, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. I think his Batman is better than his Bruce Wayne. And maybe they uh, played it that way on purpose as this is only his second year and he's trying to get involved. But that being said... I had hopes of this supporting cast because I liked the supporting cast. Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, John Turturro, Zoe Kravitz. I think that they're all really good actors. And they uh, and I was pleasantly surprised by all of them. They helped carry this film. It's not all on Pattinson's shoulders. Uh, they do their part. And they do it quite well. You know, I like Andy Serkis' Alfred. Um, I liked uh, the secondary characters and the tertiary characters. Uh the first time we saw the first half of the movie, I was really digging where it was going. But it, like you said, John, it wasn't until we saw it the second time that that first half felt a little bit long. And I had to keep reminding myself that this movie's almost three hours. And guess what? It felt like it was almost three hours. There could have been easily a half hour cut out of this and still made coherent sense. Um, you know, the Gotham City looked good uh his gadgets his detective skills all of that was brought to the forefront and they were all grounded in reality and and they were all in a believable world and i bought that am i ready to throw pattinson in as one of the greatest batmans no am i willing to give him another chance and see what the future holds yeah let's go for it i didn't think he was bad as i thought he was gonna be he was tolerable and like i said i enjoyed his batman I enjoyed his Batman more than his Bruce Wayne. Um, but overall, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really compare at all to the Dark Knight. And if I'm giving the Dark Knight a 4.75, then, you know, this one, in order for it to be, you know, highly rated, has to be pretty fucking good. And it's it's okay. It's okay at best. And uh, for me, I'm going to give the Batman a solid three fucks. Right on. All right. So now comes the point in our podcast where we are going to select our next film. This week, we're going back to the Bronco helmet and we're go ahead and pull out our next film. The next film that we will be reviewing comes from our director series and it is Martin Scorsese. And we will be watching the 1991 remake Cape fear. So that's time you guys saw it. Uh, probably, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I, I saw it once. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I definitely saw it once and it's been years. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of three guys in a flick. As always, I want to thank everybody who listens to us, especially Zach, Ronnie and Jill, uh, keep listening and Hey John, where can they find us? 
As always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we tend to post our show notes from the show, trivia. We post uh, all of our information we can think about, photos, links to IMDb. All of that will be on our website after each show. Uh, you can also find us at our the social media locations, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are on the various podcasting hosting sites, including Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes. If you do go ahead and listen to us on all of those, any of those, please go ahead and subscribe to us and maybe leave us some comments. We'd love to build our subscriber base if possible. All right. So that's where they can find us. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Get it all out now, fuckfaces. Yeah, I'm looking at you, shit nugget. I wasn't doing it. I was just sitting there. I was trying to decide <clears throat> if I was going to have my elbow on the table or off the table. Well, make up your fucking mind, Well, buddy. if I have it on, I'll, I'm sure I'll make the noise that you hate. Yeah, well, I mean, if you want to make us sound like we're fucking hacks, then please, by all means. Sound like we're hacks? <clears throat> yeah. No, I'm saying we are hacks. Right, but they don't need to know that, bud. You guys are so immature. I hate you both. When COVID started and we had to wear the face mask, I was looking all over the place to try to find a Bane-style face mask. Oh, that's funny. I'm sure you can find one now. Yeah, oh, you, probably weren't, you probably weren't looking very hard. You can find them on Etsy. Instead, I went with the uh, Friday the 13th Jason face mask. Because Julie likes that. Mm-hmm. She's weird. Dude, come on. She's weird. No, dude, she doesn't know who any of those people are. You're giving her way too much credit. <laughs> so there you go. All right, two hours and 40 minutes. That's fucking insane. Yeah, there's a lot you can cut. I fucking hope so. So, all right, fuck off. Good night.